welcome to the podcast. Today we're going to talk about insurance liability and what more per, appropriate setting can we have than a pandemic and all kinds of issues of returning to play and coming back to campus. I'm so pleased to have my guest as Richard Giller. He is a partner in the Insurance Recovery and Advisory Group with the global law firm Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman, and he works out of the firm's Los Angeles office. Richard is one of the only lawyers in the country with a significant breadth of experience representing professional athletes, sports teams, and leagues regarding a myriad of insurance claims and issues. He's a thought leader in this unique area of sports law, and he's routinely interviewed, frequently quoted, and has served as a guest lecturer and a featured presenter at a lot of universities, webinars, and national conferences on these topics. And that's how I met him. So Richard, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Karen. And, and that's a, a pretty good introduction. I, hopefully I can live up to the, uh, to the hype. Well, you and I, you and I saw, well, I saw you over a webinar with Donna Shalala and Tom McMillan. So I think if you can hold your own with them, you're going to do just fine here. <laughs> I appreciate that. Looking forward to it. So give us a, a sense for um, what kind of risks NCAA institutions um, should expect in our, their return to play uh, modes this, these next couple months. Well, I, you know, at the webinar, we talked about the insurance issues uh, arising out of canceling March Madness and, and professional sports teams suspending and canceling their uh, seasons and, and the starts of seasons. Um, but the reopening of sports, both professionally and collegiately, um, presents some interesting legal issues, insurance issues, and issues that other businesses uh, are also facing. So, you know, the, the question arises is, how do you reopen the academic portion and the sports portion of, of college, uh, the college experience? and still protecting the universities and colleges from liability. I think, I think we talked about in the webinar, the overriding factor here is going to be there will be lawsuits. There will be lawsuits no matter what a college or university does. They're going to get sued for some COVID-related claims and issues. So with that as a backdrop, you need to understand you know, how best to try and minimize the, the exposure. Being sued is one thing, having to pay settlements, claims, or judgments is something different altogether. So knowing that going forward, let's start with a basic question. Can a university or an athletic department be sued for not cleaning their facility up to standards or for someone not wearing a mask? Okay, so great questions, Karen. The, the theme I just talked about is still true. They can be sued for any of that, whether they have liability is another question. So the colleges and universities will have the same duty of care that any other business would have. Um, and so if you breach that duty of care, if you fail to follow procedures and, and guidelines that you implement for trying to protect students and student athletes and fans from you know, the COVID-19 disease, then you, then you might have liability. But you know, the bottom line is, either the NCAA or conferences or the schools themselves should come up with some sort of, you know, comprehensive guideline that lays out all of the, you know, plans that they have to, to try and keep everybody as safe and as healthy as possible. And those plans and guidelines will be different for, you know, 100,000 
seat football stadium than they would be for classrooms and, and dormitories. But, you know, they are very similar. So if you, if you come up with a guideline and a set of plans uh, that are consistent with either the CDC guidelines or federal, state, and local health regulations, and you follow those as much as, you know, humanly possible, you will then minimize the risk of liability for the claims that are sure to come. Right. So at this point, uh, the NCAA is starting to come up with some guidelines um, and some conferences are in actual active discussions about those guidelines. But the American College Health Association came up with a, a robust set of guidelines. I don't know if you've had a chance to see them, but they're the ones who've dealt actually the most with college athletics. I haven't seen those, but I have seen recently the television and motion picture industry, which is big where I am. Um, came up with a 22-page white paper that lays out incredible guidelines and guidance and, and you know, rules and regulations that they believe production companies and studios should follow when they resume film production and TV productions. And you know, they're, they're, they could be used as a sort of a guidepost for college athletics as well, because some of the things you have in the entertainment industry, uh, which I deal with a lot as well, you know, you have props and you have wigs and you have, you know, things that are going to be touched by people all the time and, and the cleansing and cleaning procedures implemented are going to be important. Cleaning the helmets, you know, one thought process is does Oakley come up with a new face shield for, you know, football helmets that doesn't just cover the top half, you know, of the helmet and, and but actually extends down below the face mask. You know, there are all sorts of issues. And then that could create liability issues if it breaks off and somebody gets injured by a, a piece of, uh, right. you know, uh, face mask. Uh, so, um, you know, you can do only do so much. You're not going to be able to, you know, protect every single person uh, from exposure to COVID-19. And there's an interesting distinction, and, and not very many people pick up on this, but the virus is actually designated as SARS-CoV-2. The disease that comes from SARS-CoV-2 is COVID-19. And that stands for Coronavirus Disease 2019. So COVID-19 comes from that. And, and, you know, protecting exposure to the disease is what colleges and universities are going to be worried about when they return to sports. And, you know, professional teams will have the same issues and and, and procedures and guidelines that, that they're worried about too. What are some best practices that schools could use to demonstrate that they are adequately cleaning and providing personal protective equipment? Well, I think some sort of check-in, check-out system is probably a good idea. Um, you know, when you hand out masks to every, you know, athlete, they should have them sign something or an electronic signature that says, you know, I've received it that day. I turned it back in the, you know, the non-washable masks should be disposed of every day. The washable masks should be washed every day and, and keeping track of who's receiving them, how they're being cleaned or, or disposed of will go a long way towards minimizing liability down the road. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just documenting, 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 and, and being sure that you're conscious of, of doing that. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and also, whenever you have the guidelines, make sure everybody involved in the guidelines has a full copy of them. Hand them to every athlete, whether electronically or paper. Electronically is probably better. Um, and again, have 
have an email to, to an athlete and fans that says, here are our guidelines. Please check the box that you've received and reviewed and read them and, and keep track of all of that as well. Right, right. So shifting gears, looking at, at the student athlete, if they should contract COVID as, as outside of the practice facility, let's say they think they got it in the, in the residence halls, are they then treated as an athlete or a student in the eyes of the university? So you, you, you raise a couple of really interesting points with that question. First of all, causation is going to be a, a, an important issue in any lawsuit that arises out of any fan or student or student athlete alleging they, they you know, contracted COVID-19. So how do you, how do you establish that? You know, if, if I've seen a couple of plans for universities where they're going to have 25 or 50% capacity in their stadiums, trying to observe the six foot social distancing, making sure everybody wears masks, and if someone ends up attending a game and then tests positive for COVID-19, how do you prove that it happened at the game or at the tailgate party, if they're even allowed? Or did it happen at, you know, your local grocery store or, or drugstore? Or, or, you know, did you attend a family event where somebody contracted COVID-19? So the causation issues are going to be important if and when lawsuits arise. But to your question on whether you're treated as a student or a student athlete, I'm not sure the distinction uh, is going to be important in, in terms of liability. Um, coaches and, and athletic department and their staff can only do so much with what happens to a student athlete outside of the practice facility or, or the field or, or the you know, arena. Um, they can try. It, it's very similar to how hard coaches try to you know, monitor and, and have some control over social networking. Um, they're 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, and you know, they're going to probably engage in activity that could you know, expose them to COVID-19 because they're not you know, doing social distancing or, or employing all the hygiene tactics that the guidelines will establish. So I think they'll be treated as a student or a student athlete, but contract tracing is going to be important to determine how you actually you know, potentially contracted the disease. And then that raises all sorts of privacy issues, you know, temperature checking when you come into a, the weight room or, 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 you know, practice facility and self quarantine when you have any, any symptoms. Um, the issues are, are, you know, far reaching and trying to do what's best for the athlete and the student, keeping that in the forefront of your mind, you know, at all times will go a long way towards helping. Yeah, makes sense. So it, it's, it's important to realize that just because they're an athlete, they may not get special dispensation because they're viewed as a student on that campus. Correct. Although, you know, the student athlete may get tested more often. They right. should probably be tested more often, yeah. especially in contact sports where you are, you know, sweat is being expelled and, and spit and, and, you know, bodily fluids coming all over the place. In those situations, you're going to have to be tested more regularly. Um, I've heard some people complain, why should a student athlete be tested more often than the, than the student body? But it's because they are potentially engaging in more hazardous, you know, activities and, and exchange of bodily fluids somehow, yeah. you know, makes it a potential more likely event than, than a regular student just walking to class. Absolutely. 
So on the webinar, you talked a little bit about this business of assumption of risk, the established duty of care, and you compare it to what baseball tickets have on the back with kind of like, you know, you might get hit by a foul ball, so be aware. Can you explain that to us? Sure, and then this happens in ski resorts and all sorts of athletic endeavors where, you know, the ski lift ticket says you assume all the risks associated with and you understand the risks associated with skiing. The same thing with, with a fan attending a football game, you know, uh, or a baseball game. If you buy a ticket to a baseball game and you're in the first five rows down the left field or right field lines and you get hit by a foul ball, you may sue the club because you may claim that they didn't you know, uphold their standard of care. But the, the defense to that lawsuit, one of the defenses is assumption of the risk. You knew by sitting as close to the field as you were that you could get hit by a foul ball or a bat. The same would be true here. You would have a specific, um, you know, assumption of the risk and waiver in the, on the back of the ticket. And, and quite honestly, maybe the best process would be to go to all electronic tickets and do the same thing we talked about with, you know, confirming you receive the PPE and, and, and checking a box. Anybody buys a ticket to a college football game, there's a COVID assumption of the risk and waiver language in the purchase and you click the box and then you have a, a paper trail of, of the person having read, acknowledged reading and acknowledged being bound by the, the waiver and the assumption of risk. But again, even with those in place, you're most likely gonna get sued by somebody down the road. Right, it's just preparing yourselves to try to give the best possible defense in this situation. Well, correct, and, and schools, you know, we talked about my background as an insurance recovery lawyer and, and that means Basically, my, my entire career, I've been focusing on representing companies and, and higher education institutions and any policyholder when they have a, a claim, when they get sued. So if you get sued, the policy that most likely triggers is something called a general liability policy. It, it's a policy that protects against third-party liability. So... Let's say a fan attends a game, they, they say they contract COVID-19 and, and, and that the university didn't properly wash down the seats or disinfect the stadium or, you know, some allegation that, that they, they breached their duty of care. In addition to the waiver and the assumption of risk uh, language on the back of any ticket or in an electronic ticket form, schools also should have general liability insurance that should be triggered when they're sued for negligence, breach of the duty of due care, you know, something along those lines. And hopefully if trigger coverage is triggered under a policy like that, then the insurance company would pay the defense of the college or university against the lawsuit. And if you followed all your protocols and you, and, and guidelines, then you may not have much liability exposure. So colleges and universities may be pretty much, fully covered for any potential lawsuits, both defense costs and indemnity or settlement issues. Yeah, and, and that's, that's important. It's important for you know, people who wanna become college presidents to understand what liability and risk management is and also people who report to college presidents. And that's part of the target audience for this, for this particular podcast. Let's shift to the employee situation. Let's shift to the employee who doesn't have a multiple year contract like, like a football coach, but maybe they're just on one year contracts or they're even part time. What do universities need to do to protect those coaches who have pre existing conditions and are worried about exposure to COVID 
if it's not in the contract? Well, my, my assumption is most of the contracts, whether it's one year or multi-year, have no provisions regarding communicable diseases. Yeah. yeah. I haven't reviewed many of the contracts, but I can't imagine anybody had the foresight to put that in. So, um, you know, with respect to doing what's right for an older coach who has pre-existing conditions or even a younger coach with pre-existing conditions, again, what should be at the forefront of everybody's mind is the health and safety of the employees, the athletes, the students. And if you keep that in the forefront, you should be and approach it that way rather than approaching it as a, you know, financial issue, uh, you know, that will go a long ways towards minimizing your, your liability. But one thing I mentioned, I mean, you know, a head coach could potentially sit in uh, the press box or in, in, you know, in a suite somewhere and have headsets down to the field um, and, and talk to players and, and coaches that way. Um, and you may be able to isolate that with plexiglass, you know, partitions and, and trying to keep distancing. Um, and if a coach doesn't feel comfortable with that, you know, do coming up with an idea on protecting a face, full face mask, not football face mask, but a, you know, a face right. shield, you right. know, and employing some of the procedures that, that hospitals have been using since COVID broke out. So gloves, uh, long sleeve shirts, however you need to do it so that you can minimize the risks. Yeah. Again, I don't think you're going to eliminate the risk, but, but you can do a great job in minimizing it. I think one of the things that I've learned a lot about this is that we have to recognize each other's humanity and that some people may not look sick, but they, they have an underlying condition and they need to be protected. And that's what's sometimes hard for athletes is that if you don't have a broken leg, you're not, you're ready to go. You shouldn't be ready to run right back in there. And in college sports, we have to realize that people do have things like type one diabetes or they were born with a heart defect or any kind of number of things that just aren't seen. So recognizing that that humanity in other people, I think, is important. Well, it's very important. And and to say that, you know, these are Division One or at least college athletes and they're in great shape and there tend to be, you know, 18 to 22-year-old kids and they should be at the lowest, you know, exposure risk of, of anybody in the country for COVID-19. That doesn't mean that they're not still at risk somehow. Right. I mean... Have kids playing with with not just diabetes, but there may be kids with asthma that, that are playing. And, and any any immune system deficiency, you know, should be disclosed to the team doctor and and you know the medical staff and the training staff. And special precautions should be made. It, and again, just recognizing that just because they're 20 years old and in great shape doesn't mean they're not going to get COVID. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So let's, let's go through the unfortunate situation of a player being withheld from a practice or a game and the media is aware of it because of they contracted COVID-19. What do you say? What, what's, what are the athletes' rights and then what is a school allowed to say? So I've heard a lot of people talk about HIPAA, which is a you know, medical privacy act, basically. Right. But that usually only applies to medical providers, hospitals, doctors. So I don't think HIPAA is, is the concern for colleges and universities. Unless a doctor's speaking and, and you know medical advice is being given, but the Americans with Disabilities Act also has medical information privacy aspects to it. So complying with the ADA is important. 
understanding what the ADA says and what your obligations are is important. This goes back to the risk management and safety and occupational safety and hazards. Uh, the school should have you know, experts in those fields analyzing and discussing it with them. For the most part, if a player's out, they should be, just be said the player's out you know, and not identify COVID at all. Um, internally, you know, how do you talk to other players about it? You, you may just say, you know, we have an issue with someone who's contracted COVID-19 without identifying them particularly. Um, you know, there's going to have to be some self-quarantine and, and players may, you know, in some ways, although this is a bit of a stretch on the analogy, I suppose, but it's the same with concussions. Football player gets hit on the field, comes to the sideline, tells the coach he's fine, right? Because <laughs> uh, I want to get back in the game. Right. If if a student athlete has a temperature and says no, it's you know it's just a flu. It's it's nothing big. I, I get colds all the time, or I'm sneezing. Um, you know, there's going to have to be extra precaution taken, and and student athletes are going to have to understand that that schools have an obligation to protect everybody, all the other athletes, referees, right. you know. Uh, training staff, everybody needs to be protected and then they're going to probably overreact, but that's probably a good thing in this situation. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it has to be uh, thinking of the community, not just the individual person in this situation. Well, and the community, as you pointed out, the, the student body as well, because, you know, one of the issues that comes up in college athletics is the travel. Yes. You know? So are you going to be taking planes? Are you going to be taking commercial airlines? Or, you know, what are you going to do to protect them in those settings? Um, having enough PPE is going to be important. Having, you know, the proper type of personal protective equipment and gloves, teaching the student athletes, you know, some people wear gloves and they, and they have a self, you know, they have a sense of security that's, that's unfounded because they're touching too many things and then they touch your face. Right. You know, so instruction and, and assistance and trying to explain how to properly wear a mask, when you should be wearing a mask, how and when you should be wearing gloves and what you're supposed to be doing with those as well. So, you know, it probably isn't a bad thing if, if colleges, universities retain a, a, you know, a virologist who, who can assist with, you know, explaining how it all works and, and doing a training session in, in fall practice. Um, and, and going from school to school and doing the same thing. Yeah. Behavior modification is one of the hardest things to do for athletes who are used to getting into just doing things by feel and by nature. So that really forces them to think differently, I think. Well, I think you're right there. And, and that's just going to be something that has to be taught and, and reinforced as a, on a regular basis. Constantly. And there are going to be kids who just disregard it all. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, un, that would be really unfortunate. Just a couple more questions. Um, do pandemic insurance policies exist today? Are they there now? Do we, do we even want to look at them? Well, so let's start with the, with the background. There's nothing really called a pandemic insurance policy. Okay. I know it's been in the press that, that, but that type of policy doesn't really exist. Um, there was event cancellation insurance, which you could take out for a specific event like the Wimbledon Tennis Tournament or the British Open or March Madness. And before January 24th of this year, you could purchase for about 15 to 20% additional premium coverage for communicable disease exposures. Mm -hmm. And so like Wimbledon did that in 2003, when the SARS epidemic first hit, 
Wimbledon made the decision that they were going to buy the additional communicable disease extension of coverage on their event cancellation policy. And they have done that for the last 17 years. They paid about $34 million in, in premiums for that policy with that extended coverage. But now they're looking at getting 150 to $300 million payout under that policy. Wow. Because they, they had the foresight to do it. Right. Um, the British Open had it, March Madness, the NCAA had event cancellation, and I believe it had pandemic or communicable disease coverage on it. Their limits weren't high enough. They should have been higher, but that's an, another story for another podcast, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but after January 24th of 2020, you couldn't buy that extended coverage. There were a lot of business interruption policies that included uh, coverage for communicable disease as well. And there were a lot of businesses, leagues, and, and companies across the world that have that as part of it. But when they're renewed this year, that coverage is probably not going to exist any longer. Right, right. Maybe a couple of years from now and you may be able to buy it. And it's probably something that, you know, a risk assessment should should be undertaken to determine whether the premium is worth it. But no, you can't buy communicable disease coverage right now. Yeah, well, that kind of makes sense at this point. My last question, are all the people who come to your facility to work a game or an event? You know, people like referees, uh, people like uh, statisticians, even television production folks. What's the university's responsibility for keeping those folks safe? Well, you asked about employees earlier, and one of the important aspects of this is if you contract COVID in the workplace, you're going to have workers' compensation exclusivity. So right. you may not be able to sue the college or university unless there's gross or willful negligence. Right. Um, so that might apply to the production companies and television people. They're employed by the TV companies, and as long as the stadium and, the, and their arenas are properly cleaned and disinfected, again, you should be immune from the liability. That doesn't make you immunized from lawsuits. Um, but they're, they're treated the same way. You know, the people who are, are dealing with the yard marker signs, those probably need to be cleaned on a regular basis during the game, before and after the games. You know, there's all sorts of things, the kicking tee, you know. <laughs> there's all sorts of things people aren't thinking about, but everything needs to be disinfected. Um, Somebody once, once in one webinar I attended was talking about, you know, hospital level disinfecting. That should probably apply in the college and university setting and, the, and then the stadiums and arenas. Yeah. And you've got the work rooms and weight rooms and, and right. workout facilities and every ball's got to be cleaned. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's going to be important. But I think keeping a, a log of cleaning things is going to be important as well. So the people who are in charge of football should have a, a log, you know, clean this this time, clean that time. And maybe there's, you know, an app on a phone that makes it easier to keep track of it rather than walking over to a sign-in sheet or something. But right. technology is right. going to come into play in all of this as well. Right. And, and, and those who are independent contractors, like referees are oftentimes independent contractors in the college level, what protections do they have? Do they have any? Sure, that's the same thing. You know, maybe the conferences decide that referees have to wear a face mask as well okay. or a face shield, and, and maybe they have to wear gloves. Okay. Um, so as long as they comply with the, you know, guidelines and procedures, you know, you're going to have the same situation as with the student athlete. Yeah. Well, Richard, thank you. That's really great. Is there anything else that you think uh, college uh, senior leaders need to know in this situation that they should be thinking about? Well, in addition to your risk assessment and risk management people um, and your health people, I think talking to lawyers before 
these guidelines are, are issued and implemented and, and trying to have you know, the legal implications, the health implications, and the risk management implications all wrapped up into you know, a process is probably very important. Makes because sense. again, you know, a lawyer isn't gonna know all the health concerns, but he or she's gonna know, you know your liability issues. Right, exactly, exactly. Well, Richard, I wanna thank you so much for joining my podcast and giving us a, a huge education in all of the hurdles that we've gotta clear in order to safely put athletes and teams back on the field, so thank you. Well, thanks for having me again, Karen. And, and the hurdles aren't insurmountable, so. Yep, I, it just I, takes attention to detail. That's, that sounds like what you're saying. Exactly right. Yeah, that sounds great. All right.